Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Next today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Nehemiah, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, last week in Ezra, we heard about the destruction of Jerusalem and the people of Israel that went to rebuild the temple. That first decree came from the Persian king Cyrus, who had conquered Babylon and allowed the exiled people to return to Jerusalem. However, due to the adversity they faced, work stoppages, all during the reign of three different kings, it ended up taking them 22 years to complete this destroyed temple which we had heard was not as nice as Solomon's temple. And that took, anybody remember how many years it took to build that one? Seven. Seven years. Now, 56 years after the temple is rebuilt is when Ezra is sent as a priest to Jerusalem. And 13 years later is when Nehemiah hears that despite Ezra's efforts— conditions there were far from ideal. And the remnant of the exiled Israelites that were in Jerusalem are being mocked by their enemies. They're being hindered from rebuilding, and the walls are still broken down, and the gates, which had been destroyed by fire, still sit in rubble. It had been 140 years since that had happened. And it still hadn't been repaired. Can you imagine that? 140 years. Now, obviously they weren't living there the entire time, but it had been 111 years since the decree to rebuild the temple was given. Still a long time, with no protection at all around the city. And so Nehemiah, who was the cup-bearer to King Artaxerxes, and is later promoted to governor of Judah, goes to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city in 445 BC. There's your timeline, just so you know. And they build it, and they get it to about half its height. And the same thing that happened with the rebuilding of the temple happens with the rebuilding of the walls. The people who were living in the area during that time and had occupied the land when the Israelites were in exile, did not want the city rebuilt. And so they fought against the Israelites to stop them. And of course, those who are rebuilding the city, they're scared. And they're tired. And they're looking at all of the destruction that is still before them. And their strength begins to fail. They doubt whether or not they can actually do it on their own. And there are others who tell them to leave Jerusalem, to come to their nearby towns because of the danger they faced. Because their enemies were looking to kill them. And the first thing that Nehemiah does is he sets up a guard in all of the open places, in all of the weak points of the walls. He stationed people with swords and spears and bows to protect this rebuild. 
The second thing he does is he tells them, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So as you fight to protect this city, to protect your family, your homes, as you rebuild this city, do not be afraid. Because God, who is great and awesome, is with you. And then there's this interesting phrase that we hear. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. I mean, sure, the king had given the orders to rebuild the walls. The people had begun to rebuild their ruined city. And the enemies had set up to stop them, kill them. But even more, it was God who wanted this task done. And he was going to get in the way, frustrate the plans of the wicked, of their enemies. And when God wants something done, he's going to make sure it comes to completion. And from that day on, half the people worked construction. They built up the walls and the gates. And half held the spears, the shields, the bows. And they stood defending those who were building up. Everyone had a role to play. And there were even those who played both roles at the same time. As it says, they labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. So even those who were building had a weapon on them, ready at any moment to defend. The rebuilding of the walls went on like this. Building, defending, building, ready to defend at all times. Do you want to take a guess at how long it took to rebuild the walls and gates of the city of Jerusalem? With everyone playing a part, everybody doing something, everybody working together, knowing that it took 22 years to rebuild the temple with all of its obstacles and, and interruptions. Any actual guesses as to how long it took to rebuild the walls and gates? Go ahead, just tell me. 30 what? 30 years. Okay, any other guesses? 50 years? 18? Okay, 18 years. Anyone, anyone else? You can go higher or lower. Okay, how many? We'll, we'll say 18. How many think it's higher than 18 years? Raise your hands. How many think it's lower than 18 years? Okay, all right. So... All of you guessed in years. It took 52 days. Days. Not even two months. After 144 years of this city sitting in ruin, the walls are rebuilt in 52 days. And how do those who see this react? They're afraid. And they're not just afraid because... The people did it, and they worked together in unity to accomplish this goal. It's because their enemies knew that God was with them, and he helped them to complete it. And they had to acknowledge that. So what does all of this have to do with us? I mean, the easy answer is to say something like, with God, all things are possible. Well, and that certainly is true. 
But there are plenty of things in the context of this building and defending that we can talk about in our lives today. I mean, if you think about the world that we live in, obviously we're not physically rebuilding walls, right? The temple, our area of worship. We're not having to defend ourselves from people trying to stop us from rebuilding, from living in the land that we live in. But that doesn't mean that we're not having to defend ourselves in another way, to build up in a non-physical way. I mean, in the rebuild, remember, there were three types of people mentioned. Those that built, those that stood ready to defend, and those that did both, built up with one hand but ready to defend with the other. And everyone had a part to play. So when you think about the building up, you can think about encouraging, encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ and the faith, those that need support as they go through struggles in life, as they go through loss, sickness, temptation, whatever it might be, as they stop gathering in worship, as is the habit of some like we heard last week. Again, we're in this post-pandemic, online-friendly world, and it's easy to not want to gather together in worship. Not to think, you know, to think that we don't need to be physically present here. That we can get all that we need through a screen. And so we remind ourselves of God's means of grace. Namely, his word and his sacraments. So, a sacrament like baptism. You can't get baptism through a screen. Any of you on the other side feel that? No. I mean, sure, you can hear the word of God. For some... You are doing that through a screen. Maybe many of you are doing that right now. But you can't. Well, we'll leave this one here. Can't get the Lord's Supper through a screen. The gifts that Christ has given to his church, they're found in his church. And so we gather to receive Christ's word and sacraments. And we could say that we're in this rebuilding phase, a rebuilding of Peace Lutheran Church in this post-pandemic world. As we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that there are those brothers and sisters in Christ who have physically stepped away for whatever reason. And so part of this rebuilding is to to bring them back, to encourage them, to build them up, since God does want them to be here. But we also know that it is God who will work in them through his word so that they do come, that they do come back. You can also think about the, the building up of those who have no faith, going out into the world and sharing the word of God with them 
the good news of great joy, planting those seeds and letting God grow faith in them, building them up to believing. Again, it's his work. Now, some of us are gifted with certain things more than others. Some of us are really good at building up through encouragement. Others, not so much. I mean, then there's other things that some of us are really good at. Maybe some of you are really good at praying. Praying at all times for all people. Stopping in the the middle of a conversation and saying, let's pray. Praying that the word of God works through us. Others, not so good at praying. So we have this building up. We have the spreading of God's word, the growing in the faith. But we also know that we have those who attack us, those who attack God's word. And we need to defend those attacks when they come. Now, we don't have people trying to kill us in Nehemiah's sense, though there are parts of the world that do. What we do have is lots of different people who believe lots of different things. Lots of different religions. Lots of people who question our beliefs. So we are defending our faith against a number of things like false beliefs. And we have God's word to help us. Right? That's the sword of the Spirit we heard in the New Testament reading. We speak the truth of God's word, even if it is unpopular. And we also defend the faith by speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Now, we do live in a world that is opposed to Christ and his word. A world that is controlled by the forces of the evil one. And what does the world, those who are opposed to Christ, say about Christians? For example, if we speak about life, if we speak up for the unborn, well, then we're labeled anti-choice and anti-women. If we speak out against all of the sexual immorality of our day, when the world tells us that love is love, and we say that God created love to be between a man and a woman, Well, then we're labeled anti-love. We're close-minded. We're hateful. And when they find us, us engaging in sexual immorality, the world loves it when anyone in the church, especially church leaders, fall because of sins like this. Then we're seen as hypocrites. Or when any kind of things we speak out against, we do, We are hypocrites. And the truth is, we are. We're sinners. We sometimes say one thing and we do the exact opposite. We say that we follow God's word, his commands, and and then we don't. That's because we're no different than the rest of the world. We're all sinners. All of us. And our consequences are the same. We all deserve death. Physical death, yes, but eternal death as well. Hell. 
And it doesn't matter how many times we've sinned. We're all guilty. And Satan wants nothing more than to lead you astray. To lead the world astray. To make you believe that sin, it's not a big deal. That it's really not all that bad. That everybody does it. He wants you to believe that there's really no consequences for your sins. That you can do whatever you want. Live however you want. And maybe even, you know, as long as you have faith, you can sin as much as you like. And that's the part of the faith that we have to defend. That God calls us to something more, something different, to live our lives set apart, to leave behind our lives of sin. We are all sinners. We all deserve death. But God does not want our death. He does not want to pour out his wrath on us. He wants to save us. And so Jesus had to die for all of us. God's wrath had to be poured out on him on the cross. And through Jesus' death and his resurrection from the dead, he gives us faith. He gives us eternal life as a gift. And he helps us to leave our lives of sin. And when we don't, he calls us to repentance. He forgives us. And his word tells us that Jesus is the only way to heaven, even if it is unpopular to say it, to believe it. So there are those who are needed to defend the faith. Some of us are ready and willing to defend the faith at all times, to speak up for our faith, to share the word of God with anyone who questions it, wants to know more about it. We are able and ready to defend, to give a reason for the hope that we have. Others? Not so much ready to defend. And some of us are good at doing both, building up and defending. Others, not so much. At the same time, through God's means of grace, he is building us up, strengthening our faith, solidifying our walls, if you will, all of which being built on the foundation of him, being built on the foundation of his word with Christ as our cornerstone. Part of it is allowing God to use us in the best way that he can, being his light in this world. Now maybe it's trying out new things and God tells us, not for you. Maybe it's finding things and God saying, this is a good place for you. Maybe you're a builder. Maybe you're a defender. Maybe you're both whatever it might be, and maybe you already know, God will use you. And everyone has a part to play. It's what God's word talks about when he says that we are the body of Christ. We all make up different parts of the body, and each part is important. Important. 
even if we might not think that it is. Even if we might not think that we are an important part. You are. Why? Because God says you are. Indispensable is what you are. Do you know what that means? It means essential, vital. The body cannot function fully without you. And when you're missing, a part of the body is missing. So how do we get those missing parts back? Well, with God, all things are possible, right? That quote that I gave you at the beginning, you know what it refers to? It's a very specific thing. It's about salvation. The question is asked, who can be saved? With man, it's impossible to save yourself. With God, all things are possible. Because your salvation has been won by him. And he will work in you to accomplish his plans, his purposes, his will for you, for the world. And he will lead you to him. He will bring you to his means of grace, his word, and his sacraments, his forgiveness, his church, and to his home in heaven. He will bring his work in you to completion because he and he alone who is great and awesome and is with you is faithful. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding are your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.